I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. The challenge of playing the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto for the first time is because you don't know whether you'll survive it. But once you survive it, the challenge is what do you do the second time? What do you do the third time? What do you do the tenth time? You have to have something inside of you that says, oh, this is something special. That's Itzhak Perlman, one of the world's greatest violinists. We had a really interesting conversation about one of the world's oldest forms of communication, music. We recorded our talk in his apartment in Manhattan, and as soon as we began, I couldn't resist asking him about his unusual style of relating to his audience, unusual for classical musicians anyway. You know what I love is the way you talk to the audience. Do you talk to all audiences at recitals or just a few? Let me tell you what I do. I usually don't talk to the audience to begin with Uh, at all. uh. The first half of the concert, I usually just play. Mm-hmm. With no talking, and then the second, and then half? the second have a talk a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, because I just want to, you know, this it's a concert, you yeah, know. It's, course, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a, a stand up. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I don't do stand up. I usually <laughs> do sit down, you know. But no, I, I, I always, I always thought that it would be nice to have a little communication with the audience, and they feel like you know that the there is an. Uh, kind of like a barrier that you cannot see between the stage and and the audience. And the minute you start to talk, the barrier goes away. So this is a new thing now. I, when no. I was talking oh, to Renee... With other people, yeah. Yeah, other people. Yeah. Renee Fleming I was talking to the yeah. other day. She talks to the audience at recitals. Are more people doing it, do you think? Well, I know that we are, you know, when it's, uh, it's uh, you know, my wife's program, the Perlman Music Program, we encourage the kids to always announce what they're going to play or to tell some anecdotes about the piece and so on. It, and so to make them more comfortable, right. you know, on the stage. Because it seems to me the thing about a musical performance is that it's not showing the audience how you figured out how to play this. It's to communicate with Absolutely. them the music, yes. right? Yes, it's to tell the audience, this is my my opinion or my way of playing this particular piece. That's me. And it's for you. Yeah. Do you get, do you get an, a, a sense of the audience while you're playing, especially after you talk to them? Is there more, a greater sense on your part of well, them? The, or yes. where, where are you in your head? Well, there, there are, there's a bunch, there's, <laughs> it's very funny because I just played a couple of concerts where the audience were, really quite different. They were both, you know, both audiences were very enthusiastic, but they showed it in different ways. I mean, so for example, sometimes when you have one person that is just ready to be entertained yeah. and just ready to laugh at anything you say, 
You know, it's like I can say, ladies and gentlemen, ha, 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 ha. You know, I mean, I, I didn't say anything. But and, and it's really true. So that was the first audience where I said, well, I'm going to play something right now by Chrysler. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Chrysler, what a funny name. And there's, and there, exactly. And, that, and that's the person that's usually sitting in the second row. Right. So you, you, so you get warmed up by that. Oh, person. yes, yes. Or, or, or kind of a little, uh, you know, upset about it. But it, no. It's you always have, and then there is the kind of audience that basically you know that they're very, very knowledgeable, and they really appreciate what what you what you do, and so on and so forth. But but there are definitely different audiences. You know, for example, in Japan, audience is very quiet, uh-huh. very quiet. Do you speak to them? I try to tell them American jokes and. Most most of the time it does not work. Well, but what would it's be very, an example of well, that. <laughs> well, you know, like uh, you know, I I'm playing this piece by Franz Ries. He was a violinist, lived in 1890 uh, or something like that, and it's a perpetual motion. So I said, so I say to them, you know, I'm playing this piece uh, by Ries, you know, and it's a single piece by Ries. So exactly, it's a Reese piece. So you know, so that joke works very, very well in the United States and so on. And so, on. <laughs> so I'm trying to tell this joke in Japan. Okay, <laughs> so you have a bunch of people sitting there, and nothing is happening. I mean, as far as uh, you know, inter- interchange. You know, they're kind of very polite, and so. I'm always hoping that there'll be maybe one or two Americans in the audience that would get it. And sure enough, I did it one time and somebody, ah, you know, so I knew there was a a person from the States uh, that that understood it. You you really do love jokes. We never meet without you saying, I got a new joke for you. Yeah, well, it's kind of fun. You know, it's it's a way of entertaining. As I left the house today, Arlene said, "Uh, we don't have a new joke for Itzhak. I'm sorry. Well, I'm waiting. You know. I know. Well, you're waiting. the only one I know who tells me new ones. <laughs> I, I mostly have 80-year-old jokes. So the other day I was telling this story. Uh, uh, the other day. The other day. It was the day before yesterday. I guess that's another day, right? It's the other day. day. You can say the other day for the day before yesterday. Yeah, yesterday yeah. is another day. Exactly. So I was talking about uh, this piece uh, that uh, I was playing, uh, and it's called Song Without Words mm. by Tchaikovsky. Now, in French, Song Without Bro- Words is called Chanson Sans Parole. Mm-hmm. So I tell the audience, this is in Canada now. So I tell the audience, you know, Tchaikovsky wrote this piece for a friend of his, and, uh, you know, uh, he was he was uh, accused of a minor misdemeanor and put in jail for a very, very long time. And it's called <laughs> Chanson Sans Parole. Well, they cracked up. And then I said, this joke really works only well in Canada. Right. And they totally agreed, you know, because you need, you need to speak English and French to, to get, the, to get the, uh, the, the pun, you know. Anyway, so now well, I told my, all my jokes, I cannot use it now and anymore. Now you, it's okay. No, nobody will remember. That's good. So here's what I'm wondering. We've talked about this at the dinner table a few times, the comparison between the performance of music and what I do on the stage as right. an actor. There, there are some things that are very similar and some that seem to be different. I get the impression that you value, as I do, something that can happen in the moment that you didn't expect. Correct. If you're playing a piece of Beethoven or, let's say, Bach, yeah. because Bach 
didn't give you an, a whole lot of instructions in the in the music about how to do it, right? Um, a little, a little limited, a little yeah. limited. Yeah. So, how do you let things happen spontaneously that don't violate what you think Bach would have liked you to do? Ah, uh, you're you're asking a, a very very important question. Um, and it has to do with, I suppose, a kind of a sensor. Mm. And so if I play, for example, Bach, I'm not going to play Bach like I play Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it's not a romantic right. kind of concert. But I like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. You mentioned Bach, which is very interesting because I always find that to teach Bach, you know, I have students that bring me Bach and I always say to them, you know, you should know that when you play this piece, half of the people would love it and half of the people would hate it, which is because it has to do with the style, you know, and, you know, people are now doing this early music style. That means that you can't vibrate and you have to play in a certain way that used to be uh, the way that they played during Bach's time. We, of course, don't know. Are they sure know. of that? Yeah, I mean... That, yeah, well, you know, but they it's are... It's like the guy in the in the play uh, who says, I'm now going to impersonate Alexander Hamilton. And that's says, right. Hi, how are you? Yeah, Isn't exactly. That fantastic? Exactly. So <laughs> who I, knows? You, but, you know, there, there there's books, there there's stuff that, that, that that's written that gives you an indication of what they used to do and so on. Yeah. I, I like to play Bach in a classical way. That mm-hmm. means not too zaftic, mm-hmm. but... Not, you know, not like a piece of toast. You know what I mean? I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, and a piece of toast with no butter or no nothing, just a piece of toast. So I like I like my Bach to be a little bit uh, representative of what I'm doing. You know, am I going to slide uh, all over the place when uh, I play Bach? No, of course not. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a question of, you know, it's a matter of taste. And so uh, am I going to play Tchaikovsky Concerto like Bach? Also not, you know, because right. with that you can take more freedom yeah. as to what you want to do. So, uh, so how do you feel when you hear Jacques Lussier, for instance, who plays Bach as a piece of jazz? Does that offend you, or, is it, or do you give him that leeway? Look, I'm I'm not, you know, if I'm not going to do that myself, you know. Yeah. So, but if if it works, fine. I'm not one of those purists uh, that that. Oh, I would never do that. I would only do something like that if I personally feel comfortable. Right. I think, and that's the, the that's the whole thing. It's how comfortable do you feel? And and you know, there's so many times that I I get invitations to do some crossover, uh-huh. and you know, and it again, it it depends on how I feel my music will play a part. Do you do you have, when you do crossover? Do you have to study the the medium? If I have to study the medium, that means I don't know it. So I'm not going <laughs> to do what it. What about you know? Klezmer? When, you see, Klezmer when, when, is at different. Your, at your daughter Ariella's wedding, you played about 10 minutes of Klezmer yeah. that I was shocked to hear you were improvising. Yes. Were you improvising on a known tune or were you making the tune up? No, no. I was. There was there's a tune and then you improvise. Yeah. Yes. Some people may not be familiar with the term klezmer. It's uh, how how old is the klezmer? Well, klez- style? klezmer. It's, a, it's a style of Jewish music. Yeah. Well, klezmer is, goes way into the 1800s, and, and so yeah. a klez- klezmer means instrument of song. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And basically, is what, that in Yiddish? Uh, it's sort of a little Hebrew uh-huh. uh, because 
Kelim is, is, is instrument and Zemmer is song. So Klezmer is, is kind uh-huh. of a combination. And, uh, and, and everything, you know, anything went as far as the kind of instruments that they use. You know, they used violin, they used trombone, they used clarinet, anything that they could carry. Uh-huh. Uh, and the, you know, like a Jewish group, you know, they would play for weddings at that time, you know, uh, when you're not going to carry a piano. So they would carry, you know, An accordion. Uh, yeah, well, accordion can 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 also be. Right now, sort of, a lot of the klezmer uh, groups are sort of evolving. Mm. So a lot of stuff that happens uh, uh, didn't happen before. One of the uh, uh, great thing about uh, klezmer that helped me is listening to old recordings. Yeah, and that's always, and that's also the case. You know, when you talk about people who play jazz, you know, yeah. how do you evolve? You listen to what happened before, and yeah. then you sort of uh, make an embellishment or your own, your own it, thing. It's, it's so similar to what uh, Billy Collins, the poet, said. I took a poetry class with him, and he said, "You find your own voice by reading the poetry of others." Right, right. Well, let me ask you something. Is there um, a difference between, is, is something difference from, from doing a play now and then doing it 50 years ago, let's say, 60 years ago, where you I can actually you know, there are have some recordings? technical things that really um, interest me. For instance, there is hardly any play on Broadway that isn't amplified, right. including straight plays. That's taking place in theaters where 50 years ago, same theater. Right. No amplification. So what? So how, how does that make a difference in what happens I by the actor? You know, what, what does... Well, the actor still... I, I suppose it's possible for the actor to be personal and not, and not be so big, so, so loud and... Uh, so would, you, would the actor use more energy without amplification? And would that affect the, 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 the performance? I don't know, because there have always been actors who could speak in almost a whisper and hardly move a muscle and affect people in the back room. Mm-hmm. There's a mysterious thing about filling an auditorium just with your presence. I don't really know how it works, but some people can do it and other people struggle to capture your attention. And are a little annoying to me because of that. <laughs> because it's not modest. It's not. It's not generous. It's come to me rather than me Coming giving to you, you. Me giving you something. Right. But how does that relate to music at all? Well, um, you know, I I always when I when I work with my students, I always say that there should be a core to the sound. Hmm. You know, so that the sound is like. So think about a tube, for example, and inside of the tube you have like a steel core. So that the tube is is kind of it has a a certain kind of um, quality to it. Uh, how, do, how, does, how do you do that to a sound? What's well, the okay. Well, what you do is that you know it's the way that you play, uh, the way you use technique uh, mm-hmm. with your bow. Uh, or with your, you know, with your left hand, basically with your bow as to how, you know, how you, where you put your bow in and, and so how you do it. So is the steel in the tube yeah. uh, an image of strength, energy? Well, it's in, an image of... each note? Yes, and it's also, um, it, it, it carries. 
ah, to the end of the yeah. to the end of the hall. You yeah. know, and it's I mean, like think about steel in a tone. Uh, the best example that I can think about in a singer is Pavarotti. Mm. You see, because when you hear Pavarotti, there is always a metal thing in the middle of the silken voice, you know. And some singers, you don't have that. Some singers may sound very beautiful, but they don't have that that edge. Do you have a special way of communicating with the students? If, if you want the student to think about a passage a different way, how do you go about it? Well, I... I basically ask them. You see, I, I don't believe in in particularly telling them what to do, although sometimes you, you, you tell them and you say, why don't you try and do this and see what you think? Mm. But I try to involve them yeah. in the process. So, That's really the most important thing because so then they, if they do something and it sounds good, they did it. They own it. They own it, exactly. Yeah. That's why I also don't like to show too much. You know, yeah. I mean, there are, yeah, there are a lot of teachers that used to play it. They play yeah. it and say, do like this. Exactly. I don't yeah. like to do that. That's similar to a director giving an actor a line reading. You know, say, now, do, direct, do directors, directors uh, actually I mean, say, do it like this, and then they, I they say I think directors it? have learned not to do that oh. mostly. <laughs> they, they say, they, then they'll say, this is not a line reading, but do it like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? do it like this and, and it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, and and what happens is the actor doesn't own it. It doesn't come up out of the actor's yeah, own. Yeah, because you just imitate. Yeah. Well, it's and, the same thing, and especially with young kids, if you show them something, they're so quick today, you know, and, and they listen so well that they will just imitate it yeah. right away. But will they apply it to another phrase? And That's will a it sound? I have an even deeper question. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm not right about this. But if they just imitate the teacher, will it sound as good as if it came from their guts? No, no. It will. It, look, it won't sound uh, uh, original. Yeah, it won't sound like them. It would, it, yeah. You see, the thing is that that's why I try not to show anything. But today, these days, it's kind of a little difficult. And the reason that it's difficult is because you've got YouTube. And, you know, when you teach them something, they turn on the YouTube and they, there is a recording of mine on there. And oh, they, oh, so it's so easy they, for them to listen to. You know, I don't have to show them. You know, the other day, I, I had somebody, somebody uh, played something for me. And they used... Uh, very sounded good familiar. Boeings. Sounded familiar. Sounded well. The Boeings were my Boeings. <laughs> so, so I mean, but I didn't give them my Boeings, you know. And they said, "Well, you know, I tried when I listened to your performance on the video. I tried to see what kind of Boeings you were using, and then yeah. I wrote them down." So today, it's a little bit. Um, it's different. It's different today. Do they watch other? Performers oh, yes. now who are dead and do that. Oh, yes. And, and I, encourage, I encourage them to watch performances who are dead. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> Puts because, more life in their play. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, no, it's, it's, it's like, look, it's like learning history. Yeah. You know, because we want to know where we came from. Yeah. You know, so that when you hear a phrase today, they did not play that phrase 50 years ago the same way. The style was different. And I don't know whether there is a, a, a parallel in acting. Is there something that 50 years ago was allowed and today, oh, that's a no-no? You know, because I'm not there trained. is such a thing in music, but I, wanted, I wonder. I'm not classically trained, so I'm not really qualified to answer that question. But I know there was a change 
in around the 50s in our country, where we borrowed the teachings of Stanislavski from Russia. Right. And that was in direct opposition to a style of acting that was pretty common in Europe and America called Del Sartre, where you had a series of gestures that were supposed to convey certain emotions. So for the some, back of your hand to your forehead was fear or oh, I see worry. So what is somebody like Marlon Brando? What what style did I'm only choosing him because he was yeah kind well, of he like, was the, yeah, at the forefront of the actor studio movement, which uh, was a much more exam an internal examination of your emotions and your past life. So not quite as vociferous, not quite yeah. as outgoing. Now, the interesting thing for me watching old movies now is that new style which was supposed to eliminate mannerisms was really a set of new mannerisms in many right. ways they look like mannerisms to me now and and the style changes and we don't we're not aware of the style changing look at our hair our hair length when we had those long sideburns and droopy mustaches and things it seemed totally normal. Now you look at a photograph and you say, "How? What was? What came over me? Yeah, Why did yeah. I do that?" We, yesterday, I was. We were watching a baseball game, and we realized that almost every player has a beard of some sort. Yes, you know, it's really either a mustache or a beard. A lot of heavy beards, and we were saying that in the 1960s, nobody ever had uh, any hair on their face, and and none of, none of the players. They were all clean shaven. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a kind well, that, of a, that a same, style. That same style, yeah. and as I think you were saying, happens in music, it happens in acting, happens in all art. That's an interaction, I think, between the artist and the audience that may not even be noticed by either of them. That's true. When we come back, Itzhak tells me about what he experienced when he picked up his Stradivarius for the first time. It was love at first sound. On December 14th, 2020, End Blindness will make history by awarding the first-ever Sanford and Sue Greenberg Prize to End Blindness. Thirteen pioneering scientists will share $3 million in prizes for their groundbreaking scientific and medical contributions to end blindness permanently and universally. The Greenberg Prize Awards Ceremony, which will stream online, brings together luminaries from arts, sciences, entertainment, and politics, including Art Garfunkel, Margaret Atwood, Al Gore, Michael Bloomberg, and more. The award ceremony will also feature a moving tribute to the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a longtime supporter of the End Blindness movement, including extensive footage of Justice Ginsburg reading from Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, the memoir of End Blindness 2020 co-founder Sanford D. Greenberg. If you want to learn more about End Blindness, you can read about it in Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. And for a special treat, you can listen to the book read by Art Garfunkel. For more, go to SanfordGreenberg.com. Join us on December 14th, 2020 at 7 p.m. Eastern at www.endblindness2020.com to be a part of this historic moment. That's endblindness2020.com. This is Clear and Vivid, and I'm Alan Alda. Back to my conversation now with Itzhak Perlman and the moment he fell in love with his violin. How did you know when you picked up that that particular instrument that it was for you? Oh, God. It took me about, oh, 10 seconds. 
<laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was. It, it, what did you? What did you do? What? What? What note did you play? I don't remember what I played. I was. I was too taken aback by by what it. It was kind of the the violin belonged to um, Yehudi Menuhin, wonderful, mm. wonderful violinist, and uh, you know, I was. I visited him because I was looking for another violin, and oh. I knew he knew where that violin was. And so we talked about it. And then I said to him, by the way, what do you play on right now? So he said, I'm playing on a Strad. Uh, you want to see it? And I said, yeah, I'd like to see it. And then I said, can I try it? He said, of course. So I tried it like for 10 seconds, and I thought that I died and went to heaven. You know, I thought it was the most amazing, the, the immediacy of the sound, you know, that because a lot of the time when you when you play, you have to sort of try and dig into the sound and to, to get the sound of an instrument. This instrument had the sound right there. Huh. There was just there was no there was no question about it, and the beauty of the sound and the total, um, you know, like it like hit you in the head. It was you incredible. So I knew that was my, the violin for me. Yeah, immediately. Immediately. Wait, how did how did you uh, wrest it from Yehudi's hands? It took about twenty five years, thirty years. Wow! You see, I had spies. You know, I had I had <laughs> a, I, I had a friend. No, I had a friend who was a very good friend of Menuhin, and uh, he was telling me, uh, "I'll watch out for the violin. When I, if he thinks of selling it, yeah, I'll know it." Yeah. And so I had a spy. And so one morning. Um, at six in the morning, I get a call from London, and my friend says, "It happened." I said, "What happened? What happened?" He says, "I have it in my house. It's for sale. If you want it, it's yours." What did you do? Fly over? No, I didn't fly over. I remembered the violin. You know, I yeah. didn't have to fly over. You know, and there was a time that we had no money, and we just bought a house, so I had no no money, nothing. What'd so you I do? turned to my wife and I said, "What?" what what are we going to do? She said, well, we borrow some more money. So we, we, so we're borrowing, I'm still paying it back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was, it, the violin was so good. And first of all, so beautiful that even if it sounded horribly, it was worth the money just to look at it, <laughs> you know, you know, and I did not try it. It's very funny. I did not try the violin. And beyond I that remember I'm behind those 10 seconds that I tried like a long time ago. Is there something about the way you play that makes that violin sound the way it does with somebody else on it? Yes. Oh, very yeah, the good violin, player still. Violin, yes, the violin develops the player's characteristics. That's interesting. And you basically are reacting to what the violin has to give you. Yeah. You know, because every violin gives you something else. You know what the violin has to give you. You know how to control colors, and so on, by what you've got in your hand. And the more you play on it, the more you know, well, I know that that is, that is something that I can do. It's, a, it's interesting to hear you talk about responding to what the violin is giving you, because I'm thinking of when you play with another musician or, or with several others, are you very aware of responding to them and they're responding to you? Is, is, is there communication well, going on? you're talking on? about chamber music then now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you can't do it without responding no, yeah, to one another, breathe, right? You have to breathe together. Uh, you have to listen to each other. 
it's uh, you know and and that's what makes chemi music so such an incredibly important um uh, musical uh, expression um you know I, for me uh any musician that can really really feel comfortable and play chemi music is a much better musician you know chemi music for me is really the most probably the most important thing in music why as a musician because first of all um uh, the repertoire of chemi music it happens to be i'm talking about you know your major composers so talking about mozart and haydn and beethoven and brahms and so on they wrote practically their best pieces for the chamber music for mm-hmm. quartets for string quartets you know when you think about late beethoven string quartets that's probably one of the greatest things that that he's ever written now you have to get four people to think in a certain way mm-hmm. to breathe in a certain way um to you know to to uh to get energy from one person to another mm-hmm. and so on that's uh that's a very uh, challenging uh thing but it's musically it's 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 what music is all about so is listening when, and so on if you've rehearsed a piece and you've together decided the way a certain passage should go nevertheless in performance does somebody come up with something that you feel compelled to respond to could be. in the moment absolutely could be yes what's it like to play with someone who doesn't respond to you i don't play with them anymore <laughs> <laughs> well well usually no no usually when when you choose to play with somebody yeah you know you already know what kind of musicians they are and you so you've already made a a, a choice as to do i want to play with this person you and know? play is really a, a good word because there is at least in acting it's play it's like tossing a ball back and forth oh yes oh you know absolutely you know and you want to be sort of like one basically yeah. at least in in a in a in a string quartet which it's is it's like dancing you the two of you each contribute well i would i wouldn't know that <laughs> you know from looking you know from looking <laughs> yes. you, you you're so good good natured about that that whole subject I, I never met anybody who took such inconvenience in if I, I got a choice <laughs> yeah you got a choice you could you could be passive in the face of it and go oy, oy, oy. yes right but, yeah. but it's not like that at all it's 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 it really I personally find that inspiring in you You know you mentioned Toby before your wife Toby in in the movie about you that's that's uh, out now uh it's called Itzak right that's the that's the name of the movie and w- two wonderful things happen in that movie your personality comes out and Toby's personality comes out Well that's her movie really everybody says that <laughs> I'm, I'm in it I'm in, I'm in it also but it's but she is terrific in that she, movie But she really she has your ear she I mean it's one of the biggest laughs in the movie is when she says uh, that she corrects you on when you're too sharp or too flat Oh absolutely absolutely She, she seems she has a really uh, Yeah you see the thing is that she you know she knows that I appreciate and I demand 
that she be truthful with me and not yeah. give me any of those false, oh, you are just wonderful, you know, you know, <laughs> and I know she doesn't, she never did that. Yeah. And that's why I, I feel that she's the only person that I really, in many ways that I really trust after a concert that if she likes it, and then I know that it was yeah. that it was pretty good. Yeah. And if and if she says, "Oh, it was okay," you know, I know I know her style when she doesn't like something. She says, "It was okay," you know. So it's, <laughs> and then and then the next day we go into why wasn't it? <laughs> the next day, first you have to stew <laughs> yeah. about it. No, no, the, you know, I think it was you. I think it was you that that said at some point, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. That after a performance, yeah, the person who performed. All they want to hear is, bravo, well done, you, terrific. You were wonderful. Yeah, you I said it, that, yeah, right? Yeah, I did. I broke yeah. it down. Said, you have to say you. You were, You can't say to an actor, we had good seats. Oh, yeah, or congratulations. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or even thank you was pretty weak. You got to say you, meaning you in particular, yeah. Not, yeah. not the other guy on stage. Yeah. We're wonderful. You're you wonderful. have to say, we're wonderful. You can't say, you are wonderful. That means usually you're good, you, but, not you're, but tonight. Tonight, not tonight. <laughs> and you got to say, wonderful, because, or you can say, brilliant. Yes. But you can't say, nice or good, yeah. you know? And because when you go backstage, you're walking into a burn ward. Right. The people have taken off their skin and exposed their soul to the audience. And it, they're tender. They're still tender. My friend Marlo Thomas was in a car on the way to a cast party after an opening night. And the other people in the car said, oh, my God, what are we going to say? That was horrible. What are we going to say to them? She said, what are you talking about? We're not under oath. So we're going to tell them I mean, how great it bravo. was. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I remember I remember I was listening to a violinist. I won't mention the name, you know, was playing on a new fiddle. And I went backstage, and it was not a particularly good performance. <laughs> and um, and he, he said to me, how was the balance? Could you hear the violin above the orchestra? Said, and unfortunately, I said, yes. And I said, yes. And he said, pity. Oh, he knew. Huh? <laughs> oh, yes. He oh, yes. Knew. Oh, yeah. We all know. We all know. Yeah, we do know. But now, what about this? When You can't help sometimes evaluate how you did. I did, I did it more when I was younger. Now I let it go as soon as I do it. But I, I think I noticed that if I came within 2% of what I think is the best I can do, it hurt more than if I came within 85%. That I, I came so close to something really good, it weighed on my mind. Does, does any, has anything like that ever happened in your head? No, I mean, I, I just, the way I judge what, what I do is that I, these days, I judge it by the way I feel. Uh, and if I feel like I can do anything I want, that's good. In, in the performance. In the performance, yeah. Isn't that a great feeling? Oh, it's the best. You, there's no constraints. You it's know, the you best. You trust yourself. No, I, I feel that, you know, I feel like I'm, I, maybe I'm tired, but I can do anything I want. The other day I was doing something and then I just said, all right, I'm going to put it on, you know, and then I just went like that. Um, it's like putting on the accelerator, <laughs> yeah. the accelerator of, of uh, expression. Yes. And the accelerator of expression can be very slow or very fast or very soft or very, you know, as long as it, it, it's natural and not affected. It's another danger yeah. is to be affected, yeah. you know, to have those little 
quirks, you know, that, oh, I'm bored. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put quirk number B. Now, let, yeah. me, let me translate that into acting <laughs> yes. and see how it comes yes. out to you in music. In acting, and I've done this, I can put on the accelerator and it's something as hollow as just raising my voice. But if I put on the accelerator through the medium of who I am in this situation, what the character is, what the situation is, and I'm doing it as the person, the accelerator isn't hollow. The, the acceleration isn't hollow. But it's gen- genuine. It comes out like something that happened to somebody once on Earth. Right. You know, not, not somebody trying to act like that. Right. So what's the what's that like in music? How how would you describe? Well, it's that? the aff- affect. You know, it's aff- the affect. I say, I always tell my students, when you do something, I don't want to know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to know. I just want to relax and say that sounds good, but I don't want to know that. Oh, they you played softer here. You took a little time there. You did this. You did that. I said it's got to be like a magic trick. Yeah. It's like okay. sleight of hand, you know, like with, we're doing something and the phrase for some reason works. And then that's good. But the minute, you know, the minute I say, well, you know, this, it's a little too slow, then you do fast or it's a little too fast, then you, you make a retardando, you know, you slow it down and then you slow it down a little bit too much and so on and so forth. I always, I'll, I'll, another example I like to give my students is when you have a full glass of water, how much water does it take for it to spill? And basically it's one drop. <laughs> so this is sort of difference between, let's say, if you want to slow down in a phrase, the difference between slowing down a lot and just slowing down that much so that you, the listener doesn't know you're slowing down, but the listener knows that there is a relaxation there. Right, right. You, the, the word, that's the word, It's so interesting. You're, you're describing work put in in preparing to play, work put in during playing, and all of it aimed at the effect it's going to have on the listener. Not so much, this is the perfect way to play it. No, no. And then, of course, you don't want to play it uh, every day, every night the same way. Yeah. You want to know I mean, one of the, one of the difficult things is, uh, I say to the kids, you know, sometimes uh, when they have like a, a, a performance of a well-known piece, like, a, let's say, a Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, I say to them, the challenge of playing the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto for the first time is because you don't know whether you'll survive it. But, <laughs> but, but once you survive it, yeah. the challenge is what do you do the second time? Yeah. What do you do the third time? Yeah. What do you do the tenth time? You know that. I mean, do you do it the same way as you did the first time? Obviously not. Or do you have like a recipe? You know, and this phrase I play it that way, and the next page I play it this way. And is the danger that it'll sound like you're playing from a recipe? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. To stay alive, no matter how many times you've done it. What what do you personally do to stay fresh and alive? I I try to listen to the music because the music, especially when the piece is good, mm-hmm. the music really gives you, it's like a roadmap. And sometimes, you know, you can take a detour to get to the same point yeah. and you still get to the same point, but it can be a little bit different, but you have to be interested in the music. 
and you know, and then just to say, oh, this phrase, I'm going to play this phrase in such a way right now. Yeah. I played it like 20 times, but this time I'm going to do something slightly different. And the accent, of course, is on slightly. Yes. It's got to be. It's got to be so subtle yeah. that I feel it. And, and that it still it doesn't violate what Beethoven no, or Of course, wrote. of course. And that I feel it and that the audience and then the audience, the minute I feel something, I believe that when I feel something about the music, no matter how subtle it is, it translates itself to the audience. Yeah. You have to have something in inside of you that says, oh, this is something special. And the minute you do that, the music starts to get interesting. Well, as always, I could talk to you all day. We've talked long into the night at the dinner many times. Well, this times. went very quickly, so, you know, and I know we only talked for five minutes, but still, yeah, it, still it went it. like it was a minute. <laughs> with your permission, we do this with everybody. I hope it's okay with you. We have seven quick questions. Uh-oh, I don't know. And what I'm, I'm asking you to give quick answers. Yes, okay. You know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And yeah, it's not yeah. embarrassing. Okay. Okay, so here, here are seven questions. What do you wish you really understood what do I wish I really understood? Yeah. Oh, he Um What was in Beethoven's mind when he wrote all these quartets? That's how, how his mind worked. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't we all benefit from your yeah, knowing that? Yeah. Wow. Okay, number two. What do you wish other people understood about you? Oh, well... I'm only a violinist, you know. I'm I'm here to play music. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 you know. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. <laughs> That's great. Okay, number three. What's the strangest question anyone ever asked you? The, the, the previous one you just asked me. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, the strangest question. You know, there there have been. Oh yes, yes. Well, I was sitting down at dinner like two or three years ago, and somebody says, are you still playing? <laughs> I thought that was kind of strange. And not I said, at, Not yes. at the moment, no. Yes. <laughs> okay, number five. Is there anyone that you just can't feel empathy for? Are we going to start in politics again? <laughs> okay, okay, we got that. <laughs> How do you stop a compulsive talker? Is that this is it? That's this is it. The example. <laughs> just, <laughs> you just, tell, you, just a silent look. No, no. You just you know you just say yes, yes, uh huh, uh-huh, and eventually uh-huh. they stop. And oh, and then you look at your watch. <laughs> you look over. Sorry, gotta go. Sorry. Okay, here's here's an interesting one. How do you like to deliver bad news in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? Oh God, no. Unfortunately, in, 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 in the way to do it is in person. How do you like to do it? Well, I so far I don't want to talk, think about it. I know in person. Yeah, you, you know, do. I mean, you got to do it in person. Exactly. Okay, our last question: What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Um, well, dishonesty. Uh-huh. I would say that you know, and then you can apply that to. Except when you're going backstage to compliment That kind of dishonesty, I welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Hitchcock. It was just great talking to you. My pleasure. My pleasure, always. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. 
I'd like to thank my friend Itzhak for welcoming us into his home to record this session. And if you haven't already seen it, check out Alison Chernick's new film about Itzhak's life and music called Itzhak. The film is now in theaters, and you can find out more at www.itzhakthefilm.com. This episode of Clear and Vivid was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to my podcast for free at Apple Podcasts. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for the newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Next time on Clear and Vivid, I talk with a remarkable young woman whose steely determination and wicked sense of humor has been tested in ways she never imagined. The doctor said to tell you that you have the magic cancer and you'd know what that is. And so I like jump up and down and screamed. And I was like, I have the magic cancer. I have the magic cancer. <laughs> that's, right, that's like the Larry David thing. You have the good cancer or the bad cancer. You have... I definitely had the good kind. Because yeah. then I could enter that clinical trial. Join me and Kate Bowler as she tells me some of the best and many of the worst things you can say to someone who's facing death. To listen to these conversations, subscribe now for free on Apple Podcasts.